So you want to watch a movie but you don't know which Choosing the one can be a bitch But Jared and Drew have perfected the art So sit back, relax, and trust the dark It's dark What's going on, everyone? I'm Drew. And I'm Jared. And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night, the podcast where we put 20 movies on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide. This week, we're jumping forwards in time by 70 years to cover a low-budget sci-fi film that served as a breakout for some major stars of the current moment. This week, we're covering 2015's Ex Machina, starring Alicia Vikander, Donald Gleason, and Oscar Isaac, and written and directed by Alex Garland. And this week... We're shaking things up a little bit. Jared and I have been craving another guest on the show, but Jared has proven to be completely inept with hitting the bullseye. (laughs) So we're changing the rules on the fly, and we're bringing in a guest on a traditional episode. Jared, do you want to introduce our guest this week? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, like you're saying, Drew, I just suck at hitting bullseye. We're like, we want to get more voices on this show. We can't wait around. Who knows how long it's going to be? So Drew and I kind of opened up the list of what's currently on the board. And we're like, let's just let our film nerd friends come on and if they want to talk about a movie. And the person I'm introducing, Graham Waldrip. How are you tonight, Graham? Hello. I'm doing well, sir. Thank you guys for having me on. Big fan. Uh, Actually, I'm a big fan of the show. Do listen to it. Oh, great, great to have you here. But Graham is is one of my favorite people to talk about movies with. He's, he's, He's a filmmaker in his own right. He's a musician. He's also a fellow podcaster and just a great friend of mine and... Yeah, I opened up the list to him, and he told me two films that he was interested in joining for, one of them being Ex Machina, and the other one, which I want to talk about in a little bit too, but um, really interested to hear why you chose this movie to, to talk about with us, Graham, and very happy to have you here, and super jazzed to talk about this movie. Oh, yeah, and thanks for the warm introduction, Jared. Uh, it was very nice, very nice of you. Um, the reason I, I, I wanted to pick Ex Machina out of the, the list, or one of the two movies I was like, I've talked about either one of these. Um, I just remember going to the theater and watching it and being blown away by, by ex machina and um, just what a visceral feeling it was. I felt like I was watching like my generation's uh, alien or something or blade runner. Mm. Um, loved the, the hell out of it and um, got the Blu-ray when it came out and I watched it probably five or six times since it hit, uh, hit the movie theater and it was one of those movies I hadn't watched in a couple of years. And I was like, this is, it's time for a reevaluation of, of this movie. Now they have some distance from it. Um, Alex Garland also did men recently, which I didn't watch, but I know a bunch of people didn't like it at all. Um, including my <laughs> wife. So I was like, yeah, I need to go like a, I need to do, just do a deep dive in Alex Garland in terms of like what I'm watching right now. So I was like, where better to start than, uh, the next Machina. Perfect reason to come on the show. And, uh, we're excited to have you. Jared, I, I think we we are trying to establish a, a little tradition with having guests on. Jared Given is famous for his absurd questionnaires, and I thought it would be good if he posed a couple of questions to Graham as a little intro into uh, Graham's film knowledge and love, and and uh, you know, just a little background. What yeah, you, yeah, a little bit of a little little inspiration from the James Lipton types, not the T, but you know, the interviewer, and um, <laughs> not the T. <laughs> first question first question I have for you, Graham. What is your best movie theater experience of all time? Like your Ooh. favorite movie that you saw in theaters that just blew you away? Uh, probably Return of the King in 2003. A huge Lord of the Rings fan. 
um, that movie, those movies are just holy to me. And I just remember going to the theater. I had been sick and missed opening night. So I was really pissed off about it. I was like 13 or something. And I just remember sitting there loving the first half of it. And then I can't remember what the specific moment was. Um, I think it was the Battle of the Pelennor Fields. I just started bawling. I was like crying. Mm, and I cried incredible. like the rest of the movie. I just thought everything was perfect. Yeah. I loved every second. I loved all the endings. Uh, that movie could still be playing right now. Uh, <laughs> 17 years later, I'd still be in the theater. Uh, not a mood for my seat. I could watch Sam Gamgee just take a dump and find it riveting. So uh, that was what, that was my favorite. It was just so much fun. And just so many crowd-pleasing moments, emotional moments. Uh, yeah. Perfect ending to a story. Yeah, Graham, not Dude, to I, make you feel old, uh, but it has almost been 20 years since that movie at this point. That's uh, yeah, that is a little sobering. Yeah. Did you say not to make me feel? Because that's exactly how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I love that answer because my go to answer to that question is Wolf of Wall Street, mm -hmm. uh, which I stand by that answer. I Drew and I saw that in theaters together and I, I went in fresh, not knowing anything about it. I successfully avoided all spoilers. And I just had such an amazing time. But you you talking about Return of the King jogged a memory of mine, which is another one of mine I hadn't thought about in a while, which is Fellowship of the Ring. Mm. So when Fellowship came out, I had no interest in fantasy at all and had never either. read a page no. of Lord of the Rings. And I, th I think Harry Potter was kind of really big at the time, at least the books. And I just kind of rejected it and thought it was really lame. The only reason I went to see fellowship of the ring is my friend my great friend reed his dad's cousin is vigo mortensen and oh, they were going yeah they were going as a family they were like hey let's go see vigo's new movie i kind of got dragged <laughs> his to little it. movie that he's in this little this vigo uncle you know uncle vigo's new movie <laughs> jesus and that's amazing i was like yeah i'll go to the movies i guess watch this stupid lord of the rings thing <laughs> And was just slack-jawed the whole yeah. time. It was just like, this is like the most amazing thing I've ever seen. So I had I had forgotten about that until you mentioned uh, Return of the King. And when you say the Battle of Pel Pelennor Fields, Fields, do you mean when the Rohirrim arrive or yes. when the El Arley fans arrive? Or both? Oh, no, when the Rohirrim arrive and he gives that whole oh, speech. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> death! <laughs> I was like, so shit, good. man, I had read the book, so I was like, fucking Eowyn and... Mary are going to die, and this is going to be insane. Uh, no, like I, I remember my first score. Of that too. Oh man, it the first time I saw that was was one of those moments I remember in theaters too. It's just like those moments just lift you out of your seat. Yeah, still, still to this day, the the craney shot of the sun behind him and the cheer kind of reaching its biggest eruption point yeah. is maybe my biggest goosebump moment in film history. I never don't get goosebumps seeing that scene. It's ridiculous. I'm getting it right now. Um, just thinking about it. Yeah, yep. dude, Honestly, dude, seriously. Yeah. Like I'm just feeling it. I'm not, <laughs> it's I'm one not of those. getting back yeah. in the neck. Yeah. Totally. Question one of the questionnaire. Jesus hatch, Christ. Right? We got to go through these. Yeah. Quickly. What was that? What was that? <laughs> Question two is, is, is smaller. Favorite movie theater snack. It doesn't have to be purchased Ooh. at the theater, but eaten in the theater. Oh, definitely popcorn. I mean, I know that's a cliche answer, but like that's all I get when I go to a movie theater. I get popcorn and uh, a big thing of water, and I just I eat the popcorn so fast I'm done with it in about twenty minutes, maybe. <laughs> like I get a large <laughs> one too. Oh, and you then, get you get the tub or just like oh yeah, the, oh, yeah I, I get the, the tub and I'm just like ah, slam, 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 slam. <laughs> and I got every time I I went to a movie last week and uh, 
by the time I like I stood up, there's just all this popcorn all over me, <laughs> just from missing my mouth. I'm just I'm such a sloppy eater. I'm I'm one of those two where I'll take like a full fucking handful of popcorn and just shove it in my mouth. Yep. Like like yep. it's it's not one piece, two pieces. It's like give me a, a fistful. Yeah, I started to do that recently. Where if it's like a movie where I think it's okay, like I don't eat the popcorn as fast, and I'll just be like, here's one piece. <laughs> I do have a funny story. Um, you know, I know this is gonna be like a seven-hour episode. No, please. About That's popcorn, fine, dude. popcorn oh, movie fine. theater, and it's related to PTA, so you guys will like this. So, I, uh, <laughs> my mom and I went to go see Phantom Thread in the in the theater, and I was eating popcorn like how I you know normally do, you know, fistful of popcorn. And this guy kept looking at me. I was sitting in front of me, like directly in front of me. It was a pretty packed theater, and he goes. He just keeps looking at me every like two minutes. And then he's like, can you chew quieter? And I was like, <laughs> sure. And so I started to just be very particular about like, you know, eating. But I was probably making more noise by doing that. Cause like there's big crunches that were really slow. Like I'm like two or three popcorn pieces. And so he gets up and then the manager comes back and tells us we have to move to the back of the theater because this guy's complaining that I'm eating popcorn too loudly. <laughs> And I was like, and so I'm also really into the movie. And I was like, I'm not going to get an argument. This is like Daniel Day-Lewis's last performance, supposedly. Like, I'm really liking the movie. So like, whatever, I'll, I'll get up. But I, I like looked at the guy. I was like, are you fucking serious? You're in a, you're in a movie theater. I'm not the only one eating popcorn. Expect? Yeah. Like, like, this is like most, it's like some film school shit or something where someone's like, no popcorn can be eaten in, during the film. Clap during the credits, you know, shit like that. Like it was just, oh my God. it was so annoying. And and then the best part was, is like, there's that scene later in the movie where, uh, Alma's, uh, she's got the, the toast and she's scraping the, the jam or butter over it. It's so loud. And Daniel Day-Lewis just looks up at her. Yeah. Uh, and just, and then my mom and I just looked at each other. Like we just burst out laughing. Like no one else laughed in the theater. But we were like, this is too perfect. Incredible. Yeah. What yeah. a perfect movie yeah. to have that happen during. Yeah. Dude, that's the best popcorn story I've ever heard, and I've heard some good ones. That's number one. That's perfect. Oh, that's I got just one so more funny. I'm I'm imagining like the the 18 year old GM of that theater and like having to deal with that man coming up and like demanding oh that God. they go say something. Like, how do you decide who to side with in that? Like, you're just a you're just working at a theater, dude. I'm making nine dollars an hour. Yeah. Like, well, here's the funny I part, right? The guy who came up to me was somebody I know. He doesn't remember me, but the movie that I made, uh, the feature that we produced, we shot at that movie theater. Oh, wow. I talked to him for like weeks trying to get this this uh, one of the movie theaters. And so I recognized him, but he didn't recognize me. Um, and so it was just so funny. I was just like, this is so weird. There's just like all these aspects of my life being combined. with <laughs> My love of popcorn, um, <laughs> movies, this guy who was a total, you know, who was a big time haggler. Uh, when we were trying to shoot the movie there. And then he's coming back and like giving me all this shit. I was like, oh my God, this is just so weird. Um, Life but, yeah. is really weird at times. But you said you had another story? Yeah, last popcorn story. Um, <laughs> we were seeing the Irishman in theaters. I had a big old thing of popcorn. And my, uh, my and, and so I had a jacket on, you know, it's cold. It's like December or something. And I'm like, I, I'm like, uh, to my wife, I'm like, can you hold this popcorn while I take the jacket off? And she's like, sure. And so like, I just like give it to her, but it looks like I purposely spill like a quarter of the bag on her, <laughs> but I didn't mean to. It just like, I was just trying to hand it to her. It just like went everywhere and everybody is looking like the movie hadn't started yet, but all these people are just looking at me like, why did he do that? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was just really stupid. 
Well, it's not as funny as the other one, but it was it was like one of those things you had to be there to to believe it because it really looked like I just like poured like half the bag of popcorn on her, even though it just it just like so shot out of my hand. One of those moments where you're like having that internal debate of do I address this with everyone in the room? Okay, this was not normal for me. This is just a one off. This was an accident. This was an accident. <laughs> yeah, hands yeah. up. Like the and I wouldn't have said hand. anything, but everybody like in the theater was like, "What the fuck? The fuck did this guy do this?" <laughs> I love it. All right. Next uh, question. Jerry. All right. Last, uh, last two serious questions. So I'll do rapid fire. Favorite Scorsese film and favorite mm-hmm. Spielberg film. Oh, Jesus. Ooh. All right. I got to think about the Scorsese one for a second. Oh, no, I don't. It's Raging Bull. A thousand percent. Um, yeah, I'm with you there, man. Raging Bull to me is just uh, it's an acting masterclass. The boxing scenes are incredible. The characterization is heartbreaking. Um, there's never been a character that you hate so much, but feel so in- invested in other than Jake LaMotta, mm. I think. Um, it's just a fantastic movie. I'm definitely due for a rewatch. It's just, it's a hard movie to watch. I've watched it 12, 15 times, maybe more, but every time I watch it, I'm like, especially the, the jail scene. I mean, mm-hmm. good God. It's just so, no, it's, so perfect. That's a brutal viewing experience for sure. Yeah. And there is also something, really weird going on in that movie where it's like also at times really funny. Like it's like the oh, way yeah. that sometimes the way that Joe Pesci and De Niro, their rhythm of speaking and the way they talk to each other, you just can't help but laugh, but you're in this very dark world. And especially as he gets, he's done with boxing and he's doing his stand up, and it's also depressing. Like there's so many things going on in that movie and I just, I love it. And I would add to, in addition to, acting masterclass i mean directing and cinematography too. Oh, yeah. sound design as well like everything every element of that that movie is like perfectly executed yeah i always wonder why kathy moriarty didn't get more stuff in her career more notable yeah. stuff uh, it's she, weird because that performance incredible. is incredible yeah it's yeah. really yeah. great well it's kind of interesting who is that great actress in um in king of comedy drew who i was just like Overtaken by she oh plays like the why am I blanking on her name the crazy the crazy the crazy person <laughs> the crazy 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 person She's San, so Sandra insane. Bernhardt Sandra Bernhardt I feel like this was kind of like Scorsese especially around that time had a knack for picking an unknown that just came in off the bench and did a grand slam but then didn't do a ton of stuff afterwards and both of those movies being filmed so close together I think are examples of. Just like an uh, pretty much an unknown actor just coming in and burning the place down, but then not really for whatever reason, not getting a ton of work after that. It's bizarre. Favorite Spielberg. That's, that's a tough one. I feel like he's. I think he's definitely made more movies than than Marty. Um, I'll say Marty like I know him. Uh, I would say probably Schindler's List. Um, that's also another really hard movie to watch. Um, just cause it's in black and white, you know, no, not really, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, that's just another one that feels just so unspielbergian, you know, it feels mm-hmm. like a diff, like it still has his like touch on it, um, for sure. But it's just, you know, this is when he really shed the whole, like, I'm just the blockbuster filmmaker thing. Like I can do, I can do it all. I can make this heartrending drama, historical epic, um, Performances once again are great. The John Williams score, as always, just elevates everything. Liam Neeson's finest performance, Ben Kingsley's best performance, in my opinion. Um, yeah. It's just another perfectly made. Ray finds his best performance, hands down, is that evil German asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole thing is so riveting, um, but it's one of those things where you just gotta like take the punishment 
um, and watch it. Like it's not it's not a movie I revisit often, but I think it's I think it's my favorite of his. Well, interesting you're bringing that up because that's the episode that will actually go out today as we're recording this. Oh, really? Um, yeah, we just oh, did cool. the episode on that. But what we're also learning is that apparently all of your favorite movies are black and white. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And actually, <laughs> the movie I'm going to recommend you guys at the end is also a black and white movie. Hell yeah. Yeah, we should we should say now. I, actually, I don't even know if I mentioned this to you, Drew, but I have the thought that Graham should nominate the replacement this week, and I'll do I'll do next week or whatever. Sure. Yeah, I'm down for that for sure. Nice, because Graham, you came ready, right? You've got oh, yeah, one in mind. Yes. Beautiful. Perfect. That'll be way later, of course. Awesome. Uh, okay, and then the la- last dumb question. You might even cut this, but how do you, this question? This question will change every time we have a new guest on. This is the the variable question. Graham, how do you feel about at-home filtered bottled water, like filtered water? <laughs> oh, I strongly prefer it to uh, tap water. You use a filter? You, you, yeah. You filter water? Okay. What's your filter strategy? Are you a Brita guy or are you a Brita boy? We have like a, it's not Brita. What's the other one? Pure. We have pure. Mm. And uh, yeah, I prefer it. I think it tastes a little better. I, th- I find with um, tap water, I have to put ice cubes in it or I don't like it. It's always mm. too warm for me. I'm, I'm a very I'm like water is one of the few things I drink. As Jared knows, I drink like water, milk, and liquor, and that's it. Yeah, <laughs> so it's true. It's so for true. like, like water needs to be good. That's like the well? thing I drink the most. So I, I yeah, I, it needs to be pure and cold and mm-hmm. uh, pure. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm an elitist asshole when it comes to water. Yeah, for sure. Well, I gotta I gotta ask, what's your favorite liquor then? Oh, there's so many great liquors out there. Um, not just because I'm a corporate shill, but I do love the uh, the Bob Dylan Heaven's Door line of whiskeys, particularly the Ten Year. It's just phenomenal. I hmm. uh, also love Basil Hayden. Um, so many good liquors out there, but those those are probably my my top two. Clear water and brown liquor. Yeah, <laughs> a great a great diet. So that is our get to know segment featuring Graham Waltrip. <laughs> <laughs> Your little wrap-ups always crack me up. Thank you, James. <laughs> you, you work. If heaven exists. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do a little board review to, to orient ourselves with where we're at. I'll run through the board as it sits right now. We've got at number one, You Can Count On Me. Number two, Tonight's Episode, Ex Machina. Number three, The Right Stuff. Number four, Rio Bravo. Number five, Operation Condor. Number six, Anomalisa. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, Pi. Number nine, Days of Heaven. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Hateful Eight. Number 12, The Straight Story. Number 13, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Number 14, The Karate Kid. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Dirty Harry. Number 17, The Blair Witch Project. Number 18, Waking Life. Number 19, Strange Days. And number 20, The Terminator. The Terminator. I'll just kind of throw this now, too. The Terminator was the other movie that Graham was potentially interested in joining. Mm. And I wanted to kind of springboard into... Graham, do you have a a thing... Is it just coincidental that both movies kind of tackle AI and AI is a very kind of impending theme or is it something that you find yourself drawn to? I'm just drawn to it. I'm always drawn to like good sci-fi story. So I think that's why these two jumped. And I, I love both the movies, particularly Terminator. I'm a big Terminator one over Terminator two fan, even though I love Terminator two. I just love evil Arnold so much. Um, I also think it's just perfect the way that movie handles the exposition, um, combining it with action. I just think it's, it's a, 
perfectly put together movie. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's just, the only Cameron movie I think I haven't seen at this point, and I'm really mm. excited to eventually hit it. Oh yeah, yeah, and I and ironically, I don't think I've ever seen two in its entirety, and I'm trying to put it up on the board, but I feel like we got to wait till one is hit. Graham, that was my reaction two. the first time you told me that too. <laughs> oh my god, but both of you, yeah, you haven't seen the, yeah. the OG Terminator. <laughs> I know, I know, also, unbelievable. Also, just throw out there that. Unless I'm mistaken, Drew, I think there are only two OGs left on the board. Ex Machina was 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 one of the original twenty. It was. And I think we only got two left. The last two we have are number nine, Days of Heaven, and twelve, The Straight Story. So we each have one left on the board. That's that's balance right there. You'll love to see it. It absolutely is. But I'm excited to get to both of those. But you know, it'd be funny if we had uh, one straggler just sitting around there for for a couple of years or whatever. <laughs> it's got to be the it's got to be the straight story, and it could be it could be Sling Blade Part Two, by the way. But we'll get into that whenever we hit it. You want to give us a little streaming check there before we move on? Streaming check reveals Ex Machina is currently available on HBO and pay to rent pretty much anywhere. So, Jared, this was your addition to the board. How did this get on on the original dartboard? Well, it was a movie that when it came out, I remember the buzz around it. And I remember being intrigued by the trailer. I want to say this is 2014, 2015, something 2015, like that. yeah. 2015. Also, around that time, Oscar Isaac was really climbing the ranks for me as someone who was just really in the zone around that time. He had A Most Violent Year, which is a movie that I did think was a little overrated, but I really liked him in it. I love him in Drive. He might be my favorite part of Drive. So I was intrigued upon release, but somehow I missed it, and I kind of forgot about it. And I honestly think it's been kicked around in the years of friendship with Graham. I think it's something we've talked about and he has mentioned how much he enjoyed that movie. And I was kind of like, oh, shit. Like, that's one I still haven't seen and, and always kind of wanted to. And when we came to kind of constructing the original 20 for the board, uh, one of our big focal points was having kind of a pretty diverse stretch of years. We wanted, you know, stuff going all the way back to the 40s. And we wanted stuff that was a little bit more contemporary. Not that Ex Machina was yesterday, but, you know, it's a pretty recent film. Um, so it was just kind of... Those reasons, always something I wanted to see, but for no particular reason missed. Didn't particularly know a ton about it. Knew it was about AI and, and about, it seemed like kind of a smallish location story based on the trailer that I remember. But um, didn't know much about the performances and what types of people these characters were going to be before firing it up for this, for this episode. And uh, yeah, just those those are kind of the reasons and super, super glad we hit it. This is a rewatch for both of you guys, right? I mean, Graham, Graham earlier mentioned, of course, that he had seen it in theaters and and many times or I guess like five ish times on Blu-ray. What was your experience with it, Drew? Do you, did you see it in theaters? Had you revisited it? since then kind of what's your relationship to this movie no i didn't see it in theaters but when it was getting you know typically around this time of of every year is when i start digging through and watching the ones that i know are going to be awards contenders because i'm one of those you know people who is into the oscars for some uh, really self-hating reason i'm oh, sure yeah, it's um, self-hating <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. uh, but I like to, you know, it was just a thing I did when I was a kid where I would just like I wanted to catch up on those to see like, you know, 
I, I, I like tracking like what's winning what awards for some reason. I don't know. It's a weird habit of mine. But um, but yeah, this was a movie that was being talked about for you know screenplay Oscars and for uh, the performances specifically. And I, I just wanted to to watch it before that and. I remember loving it on first viewing, but it not necessarily sticking to my bones. So I'm I'm curious to to hear more about Graham's opinion, um, given that it seems like it really stuck with you and was one you wanted to keep revisiting. Because for me, it was like I watched this movie, and um, while I really enjoyed it, while I was you know sitting with it, it, it wasn't one that just like I, I wasn't mulling it over for weeks afterwards, which is weird because. On this viewing, I feel like I, I now am really mulling it over and like like turning those thoughts over in my head. And yeah, it's so I I'm glad we've got a chance to revisit it now because I th- I think with some years of distance, I can appreciate it a lot more. Yeah, for me that first time, it was just like a screenwriting uh, sort of template about how to do it. It just felt mm-hmm. like you know it's a very the story gets started immediately. You know, with uh, Domhnall Gleeson's character getting flown to his boss's house, he thinks he's won some big thing to spend the the week with them, and it, you just get into it immediately. You just start learning little things about the characters. I love the self contained nature of it, and the escalation and the the thoughts about AI and the way the AI is portrayed, and uh, each character's sort of backstabbing journey to try <laughs> uh, for their own means, just sort of playing, you know. Um, they're 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 all they're all sort of strewn with each other. Obviously, Dom Hall Gleason's in love with the with the with the Ava, but um, I just love that 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 whole just weird kind of love triangle in a way. It felt like it feels like a love triangle movie, even though I don't think Oscar Isaac is uh, his character Nathan's in love with Ava. But it's it's just such a weird thing. It asks so many weird questions too about like can you fall in love with AI and all that. Um, I just thought. It was a fascinating movie, and it stuck with me, and I loved the way it ended. It was just, it did not go where I thought it was going to go. Well, Graham, you mentioned the intro of this movie and, and you know, the the way that this movie sets itself up, and I wanted to talk about that for sure because it's something that we've brought up on the show a few times is just the idea of, like, economy of storytelling and just the way that it, it sets all of the pieces in place, uh, you know, really just just economically in this movie i think like the intro of it the way that they do it wordlessly of just like you're just seeing these images that that tell you everything you need to know about why this character is where they are what they're doing um and and it's just simple and i i love the way that this movie sets itself up yeah it's like totally and it's interesting too i didn't notice this the first few times i've watched it but like how the beginning and ending have no there's no dialogue it's all Mm -hmm. just you know, images and, and music and, um, and both the characters that are being portrayed at the beginning and the end are going in two totally different directions, uh, which is fascinating to me. But yeah, the way it starts where it's just like, you know, he finds out he won the contest. It's a big deal. His phone's blowing up. People are all over him. And then he's in the helicopter. And I just love that, that line where he's like, when are we going to get to his estate? And the helicopter pilots laughs and just goes, we've been over his estate for two hours. It's like, we're, we're, we're being introduced two things in a really natural way like that says all we need to know about about nathan before we meet him is like okay this guy's a big deal and he's and he's super rich so and he's an isolationist he wants to kind of just put himself into the wilderness and like do his in that too yeah and that that too that informs a lot of that character i feel like Yeah. yeah i mean we've talked about it a couple times on the show of just movies that just throw you right into the deep end 
right out of the shoots. And I completely agree, Graham, that it is super economical and the way it distributes information is quick, but it's also very organic. It's not like the helicopter is pilot is saying something that he wouldn't naturally say, like it all fits. Yeah. But also even just rewinding it a little bit uh, more, it's like opening title slide and then movie starts. There's no written by, there's no starring. It just is, it just throws you right into it. And I just, I'm kind of a sucker for that as I've kind of grown weary and, th- and there can be some great, amazingly artistic and really articulate opening title sequences. That's all fine and good, but there's something to be said about just like, let's just get to it. And I really love that. In addition to the stuff you're saying about how it it delivers all the information you need as a, at a starting point really quickly and just brings you into the story in, a, in like a couple of flicks of the eye. It's mm-hmm. awesome. Well, and we, I mean, we kind of skipped over it a little bit, but Jared, this being your first viewing, what are your overall thoughts on it? Oh, I loved it. I, I, I really, really liked it. I mean... Where it sits in my personal rank for all timers and yada yada. I mean, who's to say? But it's kind of in the same league of recent sci-fi movies like Blade Runner 2049, which is another one that I really, really dug that Graham actually introduced me to. Um, So I do see a lot of similarities there. But in terms of like recently released sci-fi movies, this is among my favorites. And also the way it 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 handles a second viewing so well. So I liked it the first time. I, I mean, I was, I had a crush on the the beginning. The movie was interesting. It was a kind of a fun whodunit. And I was getting a little nervous as the movie was progressing on first watch about like, oh no, don't, don't give me a Westworld. Because Westworld had kind of bludgeoned me to death over the idea of what if they're a robot? What if they're a robot? Mm-hmm. And I just was, you know, fighting that natural instinct to not predict what the movie is where it's going to go because I do think that can kind of rob enjoyment for me sometimes I try to just like not figure it out and just roll with it but this movie is a little intoxicating in the way it kind of unveil reveals its secrets and like it kind of I couldn't help but try to figure out where it was going you know it's kind of a mystery story to to a large degree and I was so, so happy. I just like a sigh of relief that like, oh, thank God, he's not a robot. Oscar Isaac's not a robot. Just because I find though that idea and those tropes really kind of played out. And I just at this point, I'm kind of sick of it. I do like that this movie tiptoes up to that a little bit, though, when mm-hmm. you, w- with the scene with Don- uh, Donald Gleason kind of cutting himself to, to see if he's a robot inside, you know, yeah. like totally. it, it definitely like it has an element of that, but it it doesn't overdo it by any yeah means. it absolutely like because we're all having these questions as we're watching as the audience members and the film i think does a great job of acknowledging the suspicions that are amongst what is likely in the audience and discrediting them and it's so it's it was really refreshing in that way but then before we reach the conclusion of the film on first watch i was like i don't really buy that this AI is legitimately interested. And I thought that some of the lines that the AI was saying in the dialogue was a little cheesy, but then the end of the film comes rolling around and it all falls into place. It's like, Oh my God, she was playing him. Yeah. She was playing him the whole time. And then, Mm -hmm. so that just kind of makes you reevaluate all of those scenes, which is so fun to do on a second watch. So it is kind of a great to watch experience, I think. Um, And, I might have even liked it more on on second viewing, 
and then we'll get into kind of more specifics of like performances and things. But overall, I thought it it was uh, really quite an achievement. I mean, yeah. to, to kind of put it lightly and was also very surprised to see the type of character that Oscar Isaac was playing. I knew he was going to be this kind of mad genius, but the kind of the ways that they they grounded him through his alcoholism and his sort of casual way of speaking, even though he is incredibly arrogant and, uh, you know, very kind of insane in a lot of ways. Uh, they really made him feel just like kind of like an average dude with like a drinking problem in a lot of ways. And I did not expect his character to be bringing that sort of like frat bro energy with a genius mind. And I found that so interesting too. Mm -hmm. So we'll get into performances and shit down the road, but one of my favorite endings we've covered on the show so yeah. far, I, I fucking adore a kind of dark sort of twisted ending. I mean, mm -hmm. we had, it's very black mirror ish in that way. Yes, yeah, totally. What was that uh, Korean movie we watched? I'm blanking. Burning? Yeah. Yeah, Burning. I, I couldn't think of the name. Kind of gave me Burning vibes of like another movie we've covered on the show with like a really dark ending, but that just stuck with me. And this one is doing something kind of totally different, but it's another in that line of dark endings that is softened and massaged by this kind of beautiful score that is kind of tinkering underneath this kind of really dark... Uh, kind of uh, refusal of this dude in a lot of ways, but it's also, I don't know. I just, I, the ending is just spinning in my head over and over again and I'm, well, I'm viewing it in so many different ways. So I, I just loved it overall. I mean, I got to believe that's part of why you keep going back to it. Right, Graham. I mean, like, what is it that, that hooked you into this thing and, and what brings you back? Uh, it's sort of like what we were talking about before is just kind of like how every character's not, real in the sense that they're not being real with each other. They're all very duplicit. The only person who's being real is, is uh, Caleb with Ava. Mm. I mean, he like legitimately falls in love with her, but everyone else is playing each other. You know, Oscar Isaac is using Caleb to, uh, you know, further the, his study. Ava's using Caleb to get out. Um, and then Caleb's trying to obviously manipulate Nathan to, to escape with Ava mm -hmm. and s slowly starts to distrust him. And, the, and it's just it's like really the character dynamics. I mean, the AI stuff is all really interesting, too, but it's the character dynamics that really make this movie stand out and the performances imbued by the actors as well. Well, so I mentioned I mentioned in the intro that this is kind of a part of a, a low budget or, or lower budget sci fi, you know, heady sci fi, really like like what what Martin Starr's character from Party Down would call hard sci-fi. Um, yeah, I feel like there was an sure. era of film from like 2008 to like roughly 2016 in my mind that that these kind of movies were were just like they, they were hitting like it, every time they came out. I'm thinking of like District 9, Moon, uh, Her, uh, Looper, Arrival, like like these movies that have big ideas behind them, but are playing within a genre space and, and doing so on, on limited budgets generally. I, I don't know. I just, mm -hmm. this is a really yeah. fascinating era of film and it's right when I was kind of like getting really into film. Um, so it's, it's, you know, this is part of that, that group. And I don't know, I don't know. I, I want some of this to come back. I feel like we're not getting these anymore. Yeah. You think it'd be something that people would be making more of because all those movies that you mentioned, I believe were pretty commercially viable. I'm definitely mm -hmm. very critically well received. So 
it is kind of weird that it's not really an in thing uh, anymore. Hopefully it comes back because, I mean, I think especially now with how much AI has changed since those films came out, um, it's kind of scary. Like imagine if Ava had been written today um, or that this movie had been written today, I think it would be a lot different, maybe even more kind of sinister than it already is. Although one could argue that maybe it's not really that sinister at all, except for maybe uh, Nathan's character. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you could argue that this movie is just incredibly analytical and just, you know, doing what is the logical thing to do next, you know? Yeah, uh, right. Like you're saying. But well, I mean, hopefully we'll see, uh, you know, kind of like you guys are saying, a, a, a pendulum swing back in that direction because we've, in the sci fi world of what we've received recently, in my mind, it's been a lot of like Star Wars and Dune. And, you know, I'm not talking shit about those things, but they're kind of like, the bigger fantasy elements Epics. of like, yeah, there, and it's beyond what you could imagine happening now. Whereas things like Moon, Her, Ex Machina, things like that, are playing in that sort of like you said earlier, Drew, Black Mirror space where you could you can see it. It doesn't. It's seem, the future ten minutes from yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to see more of that too. And actually, Black Mirror too could add, be added to that list that you were saying of like hard sci-fi, as Martin Starr sure. would well, say. And yeah, and it was uh, reaching in, the last, its in that time. Yeah, yep, right around the 2014, probably. I'm going to be bringing up Black Mirror again later for sure. Um, so, so that'll be a running theme. But if anyone hasn't watched Black Mirror, that's that's amazing. Graham, have you seen all of Black Mirror? I've only seen the first episode, uh, wow. the pig one, and I liked Ooh. it a lot. Um, so I'll return to it at some point. It's kind of like with Breaking Bad. I've watched I watched the first episode of Breaking Bad when it aired. I loved it, and I didn't watch it again for four years for some reason. I just I don't know why. It makes no <laughs> sense. I just do that sometimes. I, Talk about I uh, do that the too. opposite of, of Ava's logic here. Well, yeah, and, and I think Graham, you were saying those other hard sci-fi type of movies that Drew mentioned. You dig those, like Moon and and her and stuff like that. Uh, I thought Moon was a little was a little too long, and it was kind of like I didn't think the performance was great. Um, but District Nine, I love her. I thought was really good. Um, Arrival was was unreal. I, I, I still need to watch. I don't think I've watched that since the theater, but I, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And all those movies, I mean, they rely on the strength of the performances. I mean, I think that's also another thing is like when you're making such a um, you know movies on a smaller scale. You know, I guess Arrival is kind of larger than those than those movies. It's like the characters really make those those films. To me. Absolutely. Um, and, and Ex Machina fits right into that mold. The best of, of sci-fi and genre filmmaking in general is when, you know, it, the, you're relating to it on a personal level and the way the way into those characters is the performances. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, like it's it's so well done the way Ava's introduced. She's like this mysterious, you know, she's introduced in silhouette. You can only see like her uh, stomach kind of lighten up with all the, the gears and lights and everything. And then it's, she just, you know, approaches and you can see how, how just amazed, uh, Caleb is with her. And then their conversations get more and more revealing, um, as time goes on, but you start to understand, like you were saying, Drew, like exactly why he falls in love with this machine. It's like everything he could possibly want. Um, you know, and just, it, it's, your your root like I don't know how you guys feel but like for me like when I first watched it I was totally rooting for Caleb to like run away with her. Now yeah, when he, I watch it, I'm kind of like I'm kind of rooting just for Ava because I'm like um, I don't really I don't know I just like I, I, for whatever reason this time around I wasn't as interested in in Caleb's uh, 
Caleb's journey as much as that was hers. I really like watched it with the perspective of like every little thing she's doing, how she speaks, how she moves, uh, when she puts on that dress for the first time and puts hair on, you know, she's just a master, master chess player. Yeah. Well, you see the flaw in humanity on second viewing, you know, you see that we are, we are subject to our emotions and like how they can, um, drive our decision-making in a flawed way. Uh, you know, like, yeah. like, so that's, I, that makes total sense. And, and I had the same experience. I think the second viewing of this movie is a much sadder viewing, you know, because you're, you're watching it with the knowledge that this person can't escape the fact that he's attracted to her to see why it's a bad idea to break this freaking AI out of a basement, you know, but, but on yeah. first mm-hmm. viewing, you're swept up in it the same way he is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I love that, that the way the perspective on Caleb changes from first to second viewing, cause I'm right there with you guys. And I think a really, really important scene, especially on second watch for me was the scene where Caleb and, and Oscar Isaac, Nathan is the character's name, I believe, but Caleb and Nathan are sitting kind of under that little overhang by the river talking about Ava's future. And they're talking about, uh, you know, Nathan's talking about the next rendition. And Caleb is asking Nathan, like, well, what does that mean? Like, what happens to her when there's a new version? And Nathan explains the process of like, well, the body's good. Like the body will be, will I'll be reuse the body. Like um, I'll, I'll go through the data, rebuild the mind, but the memories will go. And when you think about it, that's really not that bad. Like it's like, it's like, it's, he's not saying this person gets thrown, you know, uh, into space or into the river or like something like that. But what is so crucial about that is it reveals that Caleb's motivations are really selfish with his desire to break her out because one of his principal driving factors is that he doesn't want to be forgotten by, by her. So, right. so it's really, I think, important to see that he is kind of selfishly motivated in this as well. And the, and the fact that he does not want to be forgotten, if that's kind yeah. of some of his principal motivations for getting out. I think it's interesting. I hadn't thought about like that. I it's funny. I was watching that scene this time around. I, I thought he was just upset because he, you know, he loved her. Like he was in love with her and was like, well, that part that I love is going to be dead. That's how I interpreted it. But I could see totally what you're saying. What is consciousness yeah. if not having memories and like, you know, things that you're attached to and things that ground right. you as a human being. Right. And so, you know, you say it's not that bad to get rid of it. And I mean, like if you're if you're looking at this as a machine, absolutely. But if you're looking at this as a conscious, you know, living being in some way that has desires and wants and, you know, like that's how Caleb is seeing her. So that the idea of getting rid of her memories is getting rid of her. Yes. Yeah. See, I view it as like, um, you know, she is, she is artificial intelligence that like, I don't know how important the memories that she's had in this box in a prison cell are really important to kind of what Nathan's grand schemes might be beyond this. And obviously I'm not advocating Nathan's perspective in this film. I think he's, Pretty clearly, maybe the principal villain in the film. You know, he's kind of the he's the negative force in the film for sure. Yeah, um, the dark but side I of think, progress. Yeah, yeah. he. I but think he's Nathan being pragmatic. Is, yeah, Nathan is viewing it as like we're gonna wipe this slate clean. We're gonna rebuild the mind and begin anew. But like, again, if and I get what you're saying, there is losing your memories aren't isn't anything, and maybe her personality is tethered to those memories. But I view it as really. As, as really kind of like I said, Caleb being a little selfish in a way. And also he might not have been planning on 
wiping Ava at all, of course. I mean, Oscar Isaac, to Graham's point earlier, is playing his own game and he's trying to kind of kind of stoke the flames of their relationship to see if he will try to cross the river and break her out. So he yeah. might not actually have any plans of repurposing her. It might just be right. It could just part be bullshit. I mean, he's doing yeah. he's doing like his own Turing test on Caleb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, and and it's it's so interesting. His character is fascinating because, like, you could argue that the personality of, like, the dude and the, you know, being, like, relatable, bro, like, you could argue that that's just him putting on a persona in a way, too. Like, like he's just this, he he's, and the way he approaches developing this AI, like, he talks about it like, well, there's no, there's, is no question in his mind of like, will I do this or not? Because to him, it's like, this is the natural evolution of, of, you know, computing. And like, of course we're going to do this. There's no, there's no question of like, is this good or bad for humanity? Like he's fine with the idea that humans are flawed and and will eventually be gone. And so for him, it doesn't like, none of this matters. There's that whole line where he's like, you know, Soon, yeah, at some point, it's just going to be all machines. It's all going to be AI, and they're going to look back on us like what a bunch of losers. Pretty yeah. much, I'm paraphrasing. He actually says it much, much more eloquently than that. But yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's crazy, man. I mean, like, and that makes me think. Like, that's that's one of the few times in the movie where the AI stuff really jumps out to me, where I start thinking about it in mm-hmm. a larger context more so than I do other things. Even though it's always there, I know I keep beating a dead horse with the characters, but I almost forget that Ava isn't uh, flesh and blood human. Sometimes. So she passes the test for you. For me, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the way yeah, she, character the way Vikander plays her, uh, is fascinating. The movements, the the subtlety in the movements, the the eyes, the the mouth. Um, it feels like, yeah, this would be a machine that is being observed. I mean, she just. Mm. I mean, it's my favorite performance of hers. I mean, I think she's just unfreaking believable in this movie. Yeah, she, dude, she really that, is. She she's so good, and, and it kind of leads me to a question that I wanted to kick around with you guys a little bit because I, I completely agree. She is out of this world good. And it is very, it's very subtle. It's very, it's not overly robotic, but it's not completely natural either. It's like, it's the perfect pinch. So I kind of wanted to ask, like, what are some of your other favorite sort of artificial intelligent robot performances in cinema history? Haley Joel uh, Osment and AI. And AI, which is mm. a film I have not seen. I have not. I haven't seen, seen it that, all the way through. Oh, is that, that your all-timer, Drew? Masterpiece. It's so good. Is that your favorite uh, AI performance? I mean, it's up there. I, I mean, this one's up there as well. But but that's the one that immediately comes to mind for me. Blade Runner is the other one that comes to mind. Rucker Hauer in that is outstanding. Um, you know, we mentioned actually during the Fifth Element episode uh, there was. I'm blanking on his name right now, but the one military general in in that movie plays the replicant at the very beginning that is doing the the test with Harrison Ford's character. That performance, I think, is outstanding as well as as kind of an AI, just slightly off, you know, just a hair off. Yeah, for uh, for me, I'd probably say Bishop in Aliens. I can't remember Ooh. the actor's name. Oh, Ian Holm. No, 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 no Ian no, Holm's no. in the first one. He's also oh, and great. Aliens with an S. Oh, my yeah, Aliens, bad. Yeah. 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 Ian Holmes great in Alien too, but I like how Bishop's kind of like the inverse of that character. You're talking he's about got Lance like a little Henriksen. More hu- Lance Henriksen, yeah. He's got more humanity to him. Um, he's also another like super, you know, very pragmatic. Um, and I don't know. I just I also just love the five finger fillet at the beginning with uh, with Hudson. <laughs> so I think it's like the funniest thing in the world. 
Um, and then how Ripley interacts with them, you know, based off her experiences with, with, with Ash from the first movie. I, I don't know. Like in the whole time, he's just very useful. You know, he saves the day at the end with the ship. Uh, he's able to like remote pilot the ship. He crawls through the hole or the tube to, to, to make contact with it. Um, he does a lot. He's not just there. And he, you know, I love how fascinated he is with the, the alien, uh, but, but he doesn't, and you keep thinking he's going to turn on, on Ripley at some point, but he doesn't. And it's just a really grounded, natural performance. It's Yeah, I love that performance. I, I'm a sucker for Ian Holm. Like, I, I, to the point where I was excited, I thought that was what Graham was, where Graham was going <laughs> with it. But um, I forgot his, name, his character's name is Ash. But I, lo- I'm, I am, like, totally into those sort of, like, robot in disguise. <laughs> Not to do a Transformers reference, but, like, yeah. when you don't know on first viewing, but then when you see it a second time, the clues are just enough subtle and like you wouldn't catch it on the first viewing yeah I, I just love that Ian Holm performance and then I was thinking too if we broadened it in terms of like just AI in general I wanted to throw in Smith from the Matrix I think that's oh, a sure. great yeah. great AI performance uh, I really dig Fassbender and Alien Covenant and, oh absolutely and Prometheus yeah he's that's the best really part of those good, movies best part yeah, of the movies unquestionably great part and then I was going to say uh, Scarlett Johansson and her, even though she's just a voice, I think is really is really good. I mean, she's kind of just playing like a desirable, like she's not showing a lot of robotic characteristics, right. but I buy it. I buy it for sure. And then the last one that came to mind was uh, Gosling in 2049. I think that is, oh, yeah. is I, I really dug that too. Always forget that he's a replicant. Yeah, More Spoiler human alert. than human. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, they get to that pretty quick. I think, they do. The no, it's like it's call, it's probably yeah. halfway through the movie that they do that. But uh, but yeah, but no, Alicia Vikander in this is just outstanding. And and this was, you know, she won the the best supporting actress Oscar this year for the Danish Girl, not for this movie. But it was kind of like a a career like great job this year kind of award because everyone was touting yeah. her for Ex Machina as well. It reminded me of, uh, and I hate the Oscars really fiber of my being, but when I did care. <laughs> Uh, it reminded me of uh, Collateral and Ray with Jamie Foxx, where like he run, he won for Ray, but really the performance in Collateral was so much better to me. Like Ray's Absolutely. just like total Oscar bait, um, for sure. but Collateral's like man, you're just a dude being put through an extreme situation, and uh, he played it really well. No, that's a perfect parallel, dude. That moment where he pushes back when he pushes back in Collateral and like turns into Vincent oh, when yeah. he has to pretend to be him at the club. Oh, yeah, it's, it's so just, great. I could, I completely agree, Graham. It's, it's the stronger performance of the two, and it's just, yeah, it's awesome. No, that's you an incredible that comparison. Going for, I beat his bitch ass to death with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, Jamie Foxx Ye Ching, roll with it. Yeah, dude. Yeah. And Cruz, I, I mean, again, he plays the villain so rarely. He is a remarkable villain in that movie. That's my favorite Tom Cruise performance. He's so fucking badass in that movie. He's incredible. I love that performance as well. I need to rewatch that. That's one that I haven't gone back to in a while. But uh, but oh yeah, you know. definitely should. It ages really well. Like I watched it again, uh, not this Thanksgiving, but twenty twenty one Thanksgiving, and I was like, eh, this movie still kicks ass. Yeah, yeah, dude, it really does. Great music, uh, great use of music. Uh, I like the way Michael Mann shoots it. I'm not in love with Mark Ruffalo's performance in that movie, but oh, I think I everyone it. else. I remember you talking about it. that. I was like, what is your problem with Mark Ruffalo's performance? I mean, he's totally fine for what he's doing. What do you want him to do? Take over the film? I don't know. He's just—he just seems like he's just reading his lines. It doesn't really. He's just seem Mark Ruffalo to me. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I do. He, he's serving a story show. purpose. <laughs> yeah, that's that's. That, I will not stand for that Mark Ruffalo slander on this show. I'm glad to have you back up today, Graham. <laughs> uh, 
Well, 2015 was a huge year for her, but weirdly, like she's kind of dropped off the face of the earth. I don't know why we we don't get more Alicia Vikander these days. She had like Tomb Raider in 2018, where she was the new Lara Croft, and then after that, we haven't really gotten much from her. We need more uh, Alicia Vikander in the world. Yeah, maybe she's Definitely. just chilling with uh, Michael Fassbender, hanging out, and uh, she'll be back. I mean, talk about the hottest couples on the planet Earth. Oh, yeah, they're an item. Yeah, no, they're married. Sorry, Jerry. Oh, t- I didn't know that. Two people who are a played AIs and yeah. robots and films are married. What the fuck? What are the fucking odds of that? I want to kind of give a particular shout out. I mean, we talked about her her subtlety and everything else, like, and how how good she is in this. But just thinking practically from like an acting on camera perspective, when she has that nudity scene in front of all the mir- mirrors, she's like completely naked on a film set. And she has to stay in character and just be enthralled with seeing her kind of body for the first time in a lot of ways. And she can't show any shame because the character doesn't have any sort of hesitation or reservations about being naked. And you think about that from an acting perspective and how you and I mean, she obviously has nothing to be ashamed of, but still you're naked in front of a bunch of people like it. You, you got to it's really I think it's commendable that she doesn't display an ounce of self-awareness in terms of that moment like it's really it's tough yeah yeah it's like it's a really cool and i didn't think about this till this very moment but that scene is like her being born Mm. and she's naked you know um Mm -hmm. she's gone she's like gone through the womb she's been born and now she's got her her skin and she's ready to get the hell out of here but she is being reborn or born again or whatever you want to say in that moment Mm-hmm. It, it's yeah, absolutely. so cool. Well, and and last thing I wanted to touch on with Alicia Vikander is the fact that she's actually a professionally trained ballerina as well, which plays in heavily to like how she oh. just has a, an awareness of her body and her little movements. Mm-hmm. That makes so much sense now. Just thinking back, particularly whether there, there's any wide shots of her, she just the way she moves, she just understands exactly how her body weight works, and mm-hmm. it works so well for 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 that character, and that totally makes sense that she was a former dancer. Just the lightness on her feet and the way she she just glides across a room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's in complete control of everything her body's doing. And also, Sonoya Mizuno, who played Kyoku, she is also a trained ballerina. So I mm-hmm. think the director kind of was like attracted to this sort of like people who can really control their movements on to a professional level on, on yeah. camera. And I think they both they both really pull it off and you can see how the strengths kind of aided their performance. Yeah. Here's a question for you, Jared, regarding uh, her character. Did you know she was a machine or did you find out with the rest of us? Oh, before going in or oh, not before oh, going in, I'm but sorry. like when you were watching Kyoku. it, like that first scene Kyoku. where she spills the wine. Yeah. Were you like, is she a robot or were you I like, I mean, I was, I was suspicious of it pretty quick because mm-hmm. the fact that she was silent and again, Westworld kind of roughing me up over the years and just kind of training <laughs> me to be whenever I'm in this uh, this world of AI and who's who of just be like, is that a is that a who's that what what so okay. my yeah. an, my antenna was up really really quickly I do like the scene where she's like peeling her her like revealing the fact that she's a robot like fully but um, it was not a surprise at all to me and I kind of don't think it's supposed to in a way I think oh it's interesting I see I. I thought I was shocked when she starts pulling her face back. I was like, oh, my God. Like the first time I watched it. Now when I was watching it, obviously I knew the twist. But there's that uh, the first time I was really shocked by it. Um, I, you know, Westworld hadn't come out yet. And I was like, oh, my God. 
okay, this is really cool. But this time it totally makes sense. Like even if your antenna isn't up, like there's that scene where Oscar Isaac's talking with, uh, with uh, Caleb and he's talking about, it's like, yeah, you could have sex with Ava if you wanted to. And then he has sex with Kyoku like two scenes later. Yeah. And that should have been, that's like just really good foreshadowing setup payoff that you don't even, if you don't know she's a robot at that point, it's really, uh, really well set up. No, it, it, they telegraph that, but not in a way that you would pick up on right away. It's, it's right. It's only like watching it again. I was like, Ugh. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. Yeah, That's I mean, good stuff. I'm guessing when you saw it, Drew, it was also pre West Westworld as well. Do you remember if you were surprised by that reveal or, um, I, you know, I don't remember specifically. I, I feel like I probably was because again, uh, as you're saying, I wasn't, uh, traumatized by Westworld in the way that it, you were. It really sounds like Westworld did a number on you, Jared. I'm, I'm Dude, sorry it did. It, it is my all time. <laughs> like I'm so angry because season one of that show is so good. It's and great. it's got so many great performances. It's probably my favorite pilot episode of any series I've ever seen. And, it's just, it was so promising. And then I just despised season two. I was so confused. It was obnoxious. It was, yeah. everyone's a robot. I was just like, this is, I'm checking out. I came back in and tried again with three, but they started going in sort of this like big network of AI sort of thing. And I couldn't keep up with that. And I bailed. And I have heard from, other podcasters who I really respect and admire, like Joanna Robinson and some other people, that season four, before it got canceled, um, I mean, four, season four finished, but they say it, it got a lot better. But there's just too much shit to slog through. I just don't care anymore. I was yeah, just that's, that's how I felt too. Season two was 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 bad, like straight up bad. And I was like, Actively what happened bad. between season one and two? No, I I will say though that my favorite episode of the show is in season two, which is the Kikuya episode, the the one that follows the Native oh. American character. That episode is yeah, yeah. outstanding television. But outside of that, that, that was actually a mess. it's from his perspective, right? Yes. Yeah, I remember that. That one was pretty decent. Yeah, I also really liked the episode of when the financier is undergoing the process of trying to be reborn. Uh, that's a really good episode too. When they kind of, and it's in season two, it's that great Scottish actor who's in Top of the Lake. Yeah, and, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Peter yeah, Mullen. Yeah, Peter Mullen. Yeah, that's a that's a really really strong episode, and actually really effectively use a Rolling Stones song in the opening scene where he's on like an exercise bike, and hmm. so yeah, maybe I shouldn't dismiss the whole of season two, but I really. I just argued with it. I was no, boxing but, the whole time. Well, but yeah. that's the thing the is fuck? like, even, even though I love that episode, that one episode comes at, it's number eight in the season. And then the last two were such an utter disaster that I was like, this, this season is awful. Yeah. Yeah. And again, anyway, so yeah, I just, I was so, cause I remember too, it was another one of those shows where like I had like, uh, one of the DPs I worked on this show on told me about it. Like, Years before it was released, when it was still in development. They're like, oh, HBO is adapting this Michael Crichton novel where, like, you know, the robots come kind of alive in this amusement park. And I was like, that sounds awesome. So I had the seed planted years before release. And season one delivered. Anthony Hopkins, so fucking good. Like, everyone is really good. And I just, what's his name? Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright. I always love seeing Jeffrey Wright, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, someone I want to see more of. You know, what's a dartboard contender for me that's been on my list for a while is the original Westworld with, uh, with Yul Brenner. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Oh, yeah. Jared should have to watch that, see what he thinks, compare the two. It's probably better than season two. (laughs) 
I want to I want to talk a little bit about the lead character of this movie. It's played by Donald Gleason. How do you guys feel about Donald Gleason? I'll start with Graham. Uh, I think he's a solid actor. Um, I've enjoyed the majority of his performances that I've seen. He's like a different version of Rupert Grint that can act. Um, <laughs> like in terms of looks, I totally buy him in pretty much everything he does that I've seen him in. And I, I think he's really talented. He's understated uh, performer for the most part, except when he was in the new Star Wars being like a space Hitler type <laughs> screaming at everybody. But like for the like he just does really great stuff with his eyes and his face. Like I get lost in actors' eyes. Like whenever I'm either working with an actor or uh, watching stuff, and like his expressions when he's uh, when he's watching Ava, you can just see how smitten he is with her. And it starts pretty, you know, it, it goes from like this puppy dog thing to like dead serious by the end of it. And you have to go through. A, I feel like as an actor, you have to do a lot to really get into that headspace. And I think he's just, uh, I think he's a great actor. And, he, and also like the way he portrayed this, you know, when he gets there, you know, he's fidgety, he's nervous, totally. I know I've known a bunch of programmers for a long time for the last 10 years, worked with a number of them. He captures that persona so well, so, mm. so well, like it, it's a, it's a dead on performance. Yeah. Jared, what do you think of the performance? I think it's really good. I mean, he's one of those actors where I can't I can't rattle off a bunch of stuff I've seen him in, but when he shows up, I'm like, oh, I know that face. I'm like familiar with his face, but not with his body of work, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. And then when Graham mentioned Star Wars, it's like, oh, yep, yep, he's that barking orders uh, Death Star guy or whatever the fuck. But, um, <laughs> General so like that, so General, General Hux. Hux. So The last um, day of the Republic. Yeah. Is, he the, yeah. is he the is he the guy in that time travel movie that you dig? Yeah, through? well, I mean, I'll go through his career real quick. I mean, he he broke out in 2010. Uh, in he was in the seventh Harry Potter movie, Deathly Hallows, as as Bill Weasley. Uh, he was also in Never Let Me Go that year, which was a movie scripted by Alex Garland. Um, 2012, he worked again with Alex Garland in Dread, and uh, he was also in Anna Karenina that year. Oh, I'm skipping over one. Uh, Jared, he's in True Grit. He's uh, the guy who gets his fingers chopped off in, in the, the the cabin pretty early in the movie. It's just oh, a, a like little one bit. Of the, one of the, yeah, one of the ruffians or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is is he yeah, the yeah, one yeah. Jeff Bridges says can't do nothing for you, son? Yeah, he's in the trailer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trailer spot, very nice. But God, I I, I like Bridges, him in man. all those those roles. I haven't seen Anna Karenina, but uh, Dread is a really underrated little you know kind of sci-fi uh action movie that's super fun but uh is that yeah. the one is that the one that's a ripoff of it's a it's a remake of judge dread the stallone movie okay. the comic book yeah oh, okay okay because i thought that was i had heard that, that was a uh I'm, bl- I'm blanking on the name of this other movie well yeah it you're thinking of the raid which is an amazing raid, movie yeah. it, it has the same structure as the raid where it's like him fighting through the levels of a, a you know kind of a tenement apartment yeah. complex. And um, so it, it does crib from that quite a bit, but it's still a really, really fun movie. But 2013 was the the year that he really kind of hit his stride, in my opinion. He had a Black Mirror episode. Like I said, I was going to mention it later. He's also playing an android in Be Right Back, uh, one of the episodes of that show. Great episode, if you guys haven't seen it. Definitely worth a watch. And oh, yeah, he's he's in like the... Yeah, he's not in it for long. I didn't finish it. No, 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 no he's in it. I had to bail. I had to bail on that episode because it was so disheartening. 
Oh, well, you bailed before he came back as an android. So there you go. Uh, okay. The setup of that, the setup of that episode is that he's the husband of uh, the, the wife character and he passes away unexpectedly and she brings him back in the form of an android. And, and it's kind of like about can you, can you love this as your husband, you know, instead of mm. him. That's kind of cool. Um, really, really you cool would, episode. Graham, you would love Black Mirror. I think they, they fucked up that show so bad by the making the first episode what they did. Like, I agree. And that's, I, I, I like that episode. Oh, yeah. It's a good, I, know, I was like, what else can you do at this point? It, well, well, it no, scared it's, people it, off the show. It's yeah. not indicative of like, cause that first episode is like, you could totally see that happening. It's just a commentary on social media and mob influence in the internet age. But the series, I mean, you know, as you probably know, it's like uh everything stands on its own sort of right. Anthology thing. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Anthology. Yeah. But it goes in such interesting territory and explores such like deep, heady ideas of what our relationship is with technology. And I just don't think that episode sets the tone right for what the show is. And as we're kind of talking about your feelings on Ex, Mo- Ex Machina and a lot of these other films, I'm just like, oh, you would really, really like Black Mirror. You should you should Absolutely. go beyond that first episode. Yeah, I will. I will at some point. <laughs> but also that year he had About Time, which is the movie you referenced earlier, Jared, the time travel romance movie with Rachel McAdams. That movie is one of my favorite romantic comedies of all time. I, I, I think it's outstanding. And, and, you know, just the way that it's playing with, uh, you know, memory and, and time and, you know, love across time. And I, I don't know. I just I think it's beautiful. But uh, but yeah, that was 2013. And then this one, um, I want to say was scheduled to come out in 2014, didn't end up coming out in the U S until early 2015, but that's the run he's on at that point. And he's really kind of coming into his own as a, as an actor. I also really dug this performance. I think it's great. Uh, like Graham, what you were mentioning, like the little facial expressions of him just, you know, falling in love with this AI, just being like, Holy hell, this is incredible that this exists. Like he communicates so much with his eyes that way. Yeah. The one complaint I have, he really yeah. does. He really, really does. But the one thing that I have as a knock, and it's not against him, it's more the choice of like, why did they make this character American? Just let him have his natural Irish accent. It's He's got a delightful accent. It almost would add more charm to the character than it had as it was and make you feel that much worse you know, through the movie. Instead, they make him use an American accent. And quite honestly, I just don't think it's a very good accent. And it kind of took me out at times. Dude, that's fascinating. I had I had written in my notes like he's doing great with this American accent. Really? I, told okay. him, I, I bought it. I bought it completely. Yeah, I was I was fine with his accent, too. But I can understand yeah. like there are a couple times when you notice that's not his natural accent for sure. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I don't know. I mean. It, how would that change the character, though, if you made him into an Irish person uh, in terms of the writing? I don't That's, know that it would question. change anything. Like, would it? He just comes across so American to me. Like, his character, like, the choices he makes, his the, the way he carries himself just feels like... Not that I know a bunch of Irish people or anything, but, like, I'm like, yep, that's American programmer right there. Like, I, yeah, like, a thousand okay. percent. Not to say Irish programmers are any different, but, like... I don't know. I was really taken aback more so this time than I was any other time about like that is a guy playing a programmer and he's doing it really well. Yeah. I mean, That's I know he sort of gets a, a tragic ending that, in my opinion, is not really uh, it's not deserved. I mean, I, even though I do believe he has selfless motivations of 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 saving Ava, as I mentioned earlier, like he's not a uh, despicable character by any stretch. No. And I don't think he really 
even though he was being a little naive and and pie-eyed about what he thought his life could be with this with this AI, uh, he's not he's not villainous. Um, and I really this is more towards the writing than the performance itself. Self, but I really like the questions he asks Ava, especially early on when he knows what he's there to do and probe and like even like little things like you can see before he really becomes enamored and really starts falling for her. He's just probing in a really fun way where he's, she says hello and he throws hi back. You know, he's trying all these little stumbling brought, he's using all these expressions and turns of phrases to, to, to kind of mine and dig. Um, And of course his character shifts away from that into kind of, like really wanting to explore this being on a, on a much deeper level than just trying to trip it up. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I just really dig all those kind of the flow of those conversations that he has with Ava, especially as it progresses. And as we find out that she's playing him, like it, it just, it's a really nice puzzle box of conversation going on there. No, I agree. I, and I like the way that it subtly hints at his intelligence. You know, not, not subtly necessarily, but like, I just mean like it's not him going up to a, a chalkboard and writing down a bunch of formulas or some shit. Like he, it's, his intelligence is being communicated by the way he's approaching that situation. Yeah, and the way he changes over time like he's in control of those earlier conversations and then slowly but surely she takes control by the end of it by like session three or so she's like fully in control and just working him so hard yeah yeah i i have a question about his fate is there any chance that somebody in the company knows he's missing and tracks this down or is he is he doomed for sure because That's he, because everyone saw him, everyone saw him win the contest. They know he was going to hang out with the boss. We don't know how yeah. secretive that location is. Um, I think the helicopter he's doomed. at least knows how to get there. Yeah, yeah. It's also weird that the helicopter picks up Ava. Yeah, what does she say to him that convinces him of what's going on? I don't understand. I wish. Did she just download the instructions on how to fly a helicopter, and she just commandeered it from him at some point? I I I literally when I was rewatching it today, I went damn near frame by frame and was pausing and staring at the TV to see if it's clear who is flying the helicopter because the way it's shot, we have that beautiful shot, probably my favorite shot in the movie where she's walking to the helicopter across the field, so gorgeous, definitely in the running of my favorite shot we've seen on our show so far. Um but then it kind of cuts away and cuts back to the helicopter taking off. So we don't really see how things happened. And I could not tell on my Blu-ray who was flying the helicopter. So I don't know. It might be open for interpretation. And I definitely take the cynical view that that Caleb is doomed. But I think there is, as always with these sort of movies with these kind of dark endings, but they leave the door kind of cracked open. Nope, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> you, can, you can find a way that they maybe could get out of it. But the story is so much better if he doesn't no offense to Caleb and he, like I said, he seems like a good person, but like if he gets out, that means it's, it's, it's common knowledge that this robot is out. The whole thing kind of falls apart. So it's totally, yeah, no, it's the right ending. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, if they answered that question, it would ruin the the end of the movie. Jared, what'd you think of the dance scene? Oh dude, almost loved it. Almost (laughs) loved the dance scene. Um, almost, almost, I, First of all, shout out to Oscar Isaac's moves. 
in that scene, man. He he can fucking dance, man. I really dug it. And Sonoya Mizuno, too. I mean, it's no surprise she can dance. She's a trained ballerina, like we mentioned. So still great moves. But Oscar Isaac impressed me. I have never really seen him dance in a film that I'm aware of. And I'm sure it was heavily choreographed and rehearsed and everything else, but he pulls it off. It looks really good to me. The one thing I wasn't sold on in that scene are the cuts back to Caleb, like mm. where he's supposed to kind of be in that scene specifically, the audience surrogate of like, this is so weird. And he's just making that face of like, this is weird. As if like, I don't know, when, when I feel like when directors or editors who are, or whoever's making that choice... It's like, it's not a brave choice. Like they're, they're in some way, uh, this is this is sounding harsher than I intended to. But in some way, it's not trusting the audience to recognize something is weird. So if you ha- you have to cut to your quote unquote straight man of the moment, and reinforce in the audience that it's like, no, this is weird, and it's and it's supposed to be weird. But don't worry, we know it's weird, and you know it's weird. It's like I kind of wish they just didn't do that shot cut back to Caleb going whoa and it's like I think it would be better if you just let it be weird on its own and trust that the audience will recognize that this is fucked up yeah maybe just one cut back to him and then the rest could be yeah and maybe and and maybe none at all I mean I don't know but but my pretty pretty minor quibble I like that scene I do think the lighting is a little bit much in it too the red is uh, a bit a bit much picking nits but I like it I, no, hey, I mean, I, you know, <laughs> it's cool, but that scene also has the best line of the movie, though, which is you. Caleb says you tore up her picture, and Nathan replies, "I'm gonna tear up the fucking dance floor, dude. Check it out." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is a pretty good line. That might so be Nathan's good. best line. We should talk, I think, a little bit about like, or a little more about Nathan. We've been kind of like circling yeah, yeah. him quite a bit, but like, I mean, I talked about how unexpected it was for me to view this like again kind of frat bro genius type guy i also really like the way he plays with his lines in the movies this movie and the lines that are given to him like especially the scenes where like caleb is quoting things and then we find out that oscar isaac has probably known the entire time that like he's who he's quoting and and why and stuff like that. I don't know. I just think it's a really, really good performance, and he's just one of my favorite actors. And I did not expect him to be walking to the plate with this energy in this movie, and it was really unexpected and refreshing to me. What do you guys think of the performance overall? And do you have like strong opinions on Oscar Isaac in general? Yeah, that was really again another great performance. Um, even from the beginning, like when Caleb first meets him, like he's got this, you can tell he's kind of a douche, but he's got this warmth to him at the same time where he's like, Hey man, you know, we're just going to, don't be, don't be awkward. We're, we're going to be here for a week, like loosen up, like everything's going to be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got kind of this like older brother vibe to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then I just love, like you've mentioned it already, Jared, but I just love the combination of, of sort of this douchey persona confidence, with some, with a little bit of warmth in there, but combined with like, obviously incredible intelligence, um, and the way he's able to play Caleb, and even like every time Caleb guesses something, um, you know, he's like, it's really not the the real answer though, like and, until it gets closer to the end, and like how far he's willing to go to to Turing test uh, <laughs> Caleb, kind of like we were talking about earlier. Um, it's um, 
down to like his favorite porn stars uh, <laughs> look to, to oh. model Ava. I mean, it's incredible the amount of detail that that went into his plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude, I, I just just shout out to that detail, especially the realization dawning on Caleb where he's like, oh, my God, did you design her face after my porn search history? And he just admits to it and he did it. Yes, you're right. It's so it's so fleshed out. And yeah. What's crazy is this movie is coming out right around the time that Edward Snowden is becoming a name and like the government surveillance, uh, you know, the extent of it uh, was becoming known in terms of like the the ability of like the NSA to just tap into your camera on your phone and stuff. And like, you know, just like the level of access the internet has given into like our, our lives and our desires and our, you know, just the way that they can literally map a way into your brain and how to funnel, you know, marketing material to you is like, it's it, this, this movie was in, extremely prescient in that way for, Oh, for sure. And I kind of wish I'm a little envious that you guys saw it either at release or close to release for the first time, because now when they're, the, you know, the movie opens with that image of the face being scanned, the reaction being scanned and things like that. Um, it's just that's that's the maybe the one downside of seeing it in 2022 is being like, yeah, 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 I know my phone's listening to me. I know it's it's studying me. We just accept it now for the most part. Uh, but it, it would have been kind of I'm jealous you guys got to see it at the time when it's like, is that what they're doing? Where there was maybe still some mysteries somewhat going right. on with how much we were being manipulated and shepherded around due to yeah. data points. But getting back to Oscar Isaac, I mean, I, he's one of my favorite actors working today. And, and yeah, this performance is outstanding. It, it, like you guys are saying, just the way that he, you know, the big brother vibe that you brought up, Graham, I, I love that because it's like, you know, he's manipulating Caleb, but also feels like a guy you want to hang out with. Um, it's yeah, just, I, totally. I, I love the, the duality of that character going back to that. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like Oscar Isaac is, is one of those actors that I love him every time he's in a movie and I feel like he, he deserves more attention in, in some ways because like the performances that he gives and stuff like inside Lewin Davis and like, um, even in a bad movie, like Jared, did you, did you go to see Robin Hood in New Zealand when I went and saw that the, the Ridley Scott Robin Hood with Russell Crowe? No, no, I didn't. I've never seen that movie. Oh, okay. Well, I, I remember going. <laughs> I with remember a, the poster, Russell Crowe with an arrow. I like, remember yeah, going I remember. with a group, but but even in that movie, like a shitty ass movie like that, he stands out, and it's like, mm. man, just give me all the Oscar Isaac you can give me. Um, I yeah, I still refuse to watch Moon Knight because I'm a hundred percent out on Marvel at this point. But uh, but it, it, he's the reason I would watch it if I do. Yeah, dude. I I, I mean, I love him too, and. One of the things I like about him from a career standpoint is he seems fearless about the types of roles he'll take on and in the environment of film that he'll step into. And it doesn't seem to bother him. He'll do it all. Like he'll step into this Star Wars movie, this massive empire of finance and so many chefs in the kitchen and all that stuff, which is its own sort of minefield that I can't even envision. But then he also is seems right at home in something like this, a smaller film intimately shot kind of with the dynamics of a play to a degree. 
And I think he seems, again, somewhat pr- pretty courageous in terms of like, yeah, I'll step into a Hollywood blockbuster and and kill it. And yeah, I'll step into this shoestring indie and elevate it. He seems to really spread his talents around nicely. And I really like the the roles that he chooses to take. He's an unpretentious artist, but he picks really great projects. So I, I just always appreciate him. Yeah, yeah. And I do want to kind of continue echoing Graham's comment about the big brother energy. Totally agree as well. This character does not work if there's nothing redeemable about it. If he has no warmth, it like it's a really delicate thing. Again, all of these performances, it seems to be a through line through the entire movie. Is they're all like you turn the knob too far one way, if if Ava's too robotic, if you know, if Caleb is too doe-eyed, all these things, they don't work. So they have to be yeah. calibrated right. And he is yes, he's a dick, and yes, he's arrogant, and yes, all these things. But like Graham was saying, he's not devoid of warmth. He's not devoid of humanity, and it just makes everything so much more interesting. And I think it's a just just a great, great role for him. Yeah. Well, I think some of the casting and and the direction of these actors, we we got to bring up Alex Garland at this point. Alex Garland is is a legend in the sci fi realm at this point, in my opinion. Um, he's you know been working since uh, the early 2000s in, in Hollywood. He was originally a, a novelist and wrote the book that the uh, Danny Boyle movie The Beach was based on. Um, so that was kind of his breakout. And then after that, you know, he did 28 Days Later. He does Sunshine, both of those with Danny Boyle. He adapted Never Let Me Go for Mark Romanek. He wrote Dread. And now he's become this filmmaker. This was his, uh, it's amazing to me that this is, first of all, his directorial debut because this has yeah, such a strong. Yeah, it does not feel like a first feature. Holy no. shit, I didn't know that. That's it has, crazy. It has such a strong sense of style and control that you just like don't see in a film, first time filmmaker. I feel like these very often but you know he really has developed his own style so his other films since then have been annihilation uh and and men and he also wrote and directed the hulu show devs which is one that i really really want to check out but devs is great if you like his stuff you'll 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 love devs that's awesome Um, that's that's a good recommendation yeah it's nick offerman's best performance wow and uh talk about a pilot that's really good i mean that was that show just as grabs you from the from the get go. It's fascinating. That's amazing. Well, what is, what's your background, tonight. Graham? What's your background with Alex Garland of those movies? You know that I was I was just referencing there. Are you fan of of many of those? Yeah, I like uh, I like Annihilation a lot. I first heard about him with Twenty Eight Days Later. I saw that like a year I think after it came out, and I was like, oh, I'll remember that name. Like that was a really good movie, even though he wrote it and didn't direct it. But I was like, I mean, this is a really strong zombie film. Mm-hmm. Particularly during that era where we never seen like super fast zombies and and whatnot, and like the zombies, you know, coming about through a virus, which now is obviously very <laughs> even more so relatable. Um, so yeah, like like around twenty eight days later is when he was always on my on my radar. Yeah. What about you, Jared? What's your background with with Alex Garland? Well, I kept it loose with like the research for him specifically on this one, and like I was, I have actually circled sunshine as a contender for me to put on the board because i have never seen it and i'm a pretty big band of fan of danny boyle for me it's a it's a mixed bag of grand slams and like bunts you know what i mean they're never bad uh but sometimes they're like just solid and then sometimes i'm, I'm over the moon about them and um 
I think it would be a fun one to put on the board someday. So I'm playing with that. Um, did not know that this was his debut. That's shocking to me. It's very, it seems very confidently composed and put together. I mean, we've seen a lot of debut films on this show, even that they all seem to have this sort of confidence that doesn't seem natural to them. And this is kind of in that line or like, I don't mean it makes this film seem inorganic. I just mean, it doesn't make sense that it's so confidently shot being as someone's first time at the helm. I mean, I, I felt that way. We didn't cover it on this show, but who's af- who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? I feel that way about. And and also we, we talked about Bound, which is just an extraordinarily con- uh, confident, confidently shot film. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of in that league. Again, it was I had no idea. Those other movies going into it, I knew that it was first timer. So I was kind of watching with those vigilant eyes of like, oh, wow. You know, but this one, it was a total magic trick. I, I, I had no idea. That's awesome. What, what are your guys' thoughts on Annihilation? Have you both seen that film? I have not. I like I like Annihilation a lot. Don't like it as much as this movie, but I thought it was very underrated. I was disappointed that it flopped at the box office. I actually did go see it in the theater. That was um, a really good theater experience, I, I remember. Oh, yeah. The, the bear, that's all I'll yeah. say. Because I don't want to spoil it for Jared, but... Yeah, that scene in particular was holy shit. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really dug that movie too. It's it's I, I think this is a hair better for me. But like you, Graham, I, I thought that movie was was underappreciated. It deserved more attention than it got. So I'm I'm you know even though you know like you referenced earlier that Men wasn't really well received, I still am really interested to watch that. Me too. Me too. I still want to check it out. I'm still a fan of the guy's work. I mean, Devs was super strong overall. Had its issues, but very strong. So I'm like, yeah, I definitely want to check out Men um, and see. And then I'll, you know, I'll follow Alex, Gar- Alex Garland um, probably forever. I mean, mostly because of Ex Machina. I mean, I think it's still his best his, his best work as a writer or a director to me that, I, that I've seen so far. I think I agree overall, yeah. On second viewing especially, like this movie. And and I think I mentioned in a previous episode when uh, when talking about this movie that it was a movie that I just, it wasn't one that I was super excited to hit on the board. Not because I, I didn't like it, but just because I didn't really know what I was going to say about it. And then as soon as I watched it, I was like, oh my God, there's so much to talk about with this movie. Yeah. The ideas I mean, flood your head, yeah. I think we could talk about this movie probably for another you know two, three hours if we wanted to. But uh, but that but I think that's that's another thing that's just true of, of Alex Garland's career in general. He just knows how to make really thought-provoking sci-fi. And I'm really excited to see where he continues to go with his career because it's, it, you know, he is a really unique voice, I feel like, in genre film right now. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, totally agree. He's just very, he, if this is an in, indication of the style, I just like um, how complicated it is. The story, I don't mean in terms of the puzzle PC nature of it, I just mean emotionally. Like, yeah. I, I, on second viewing, I can see a world where I could agree, even though the characters all make pretty, uh, objectionable actions less so Caleb but even him to some extent in my opinion like I can see where each one is coming from even totally. Nathan and it's just yeah. it makes it like I love stories that are really gray and this is like the the grayest one of the grayest we've covered in the show and I, I fucking loved it yeah, yeah. this is an overcast film <laughs> Graham any final uh, thoughts on on the movie and wrap up in general Oh, uh, I'll just mention the one thing we haven't talked about yet is production design in this oh, film is tremendous. Um, yes. Every room is immaculately uh, immaculately designed, and I love... Uh, it's, it's got like this really fascinating modern style of architecture, 
combined with like classic sci-fi shit like the, the the hallways are like pure alien or or uh or uh, space odyssey you know it's um it's it's brilliantly whoever did the production design on this movie should have won an academy award it's 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 perfect I completely agree. And well, and you know what's really interesting about it that I love is they reference in the movie that thought experiment of, I think it's Mary the Scientist is the thought experiment where she understands color from a conceptual basis but has has never actually yeah. seen color and then comes outside and experiences that. And it, you know, does that mean that she knew what color was before that moment or did she actually learn something when she saw the color and the movie mimics that in some ways between like the real stark basement and you know the cement walls of that that basement and then like contrasting that with like Norway outside this beautiful lush rainforest and like you know all the color and vibrancy I just thought like you're saying it's just just the way that the the design of the the house I think plays right into that idea Oh, for sure. Yeah. And while we're totally. while we're talking about production design in general, how about that post-it note wall, like flooded with all the <laughs> posts? That was just, uh, that's just a good detail. And Some also, poor set dresser. Yeah, <laughs> do I wonder if they actually wrote legible, meaning like like sensical things on those notes? Or I would not. love to know what's written on those. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I like the Jackson Pollock painting and the mm-hmm. way that's used in a lot of the shots, where like Oscar Isaac is before. Sometimes there's just the painting behind him. There's no nothing of the wall. Like the painting fills the entirety of the frame, and I just think it kind of displays his mind state really well. This sort mm-hmm. of kind of not tortured genius, but complicated genius. Yeah, totally. It's still one of those classic setup and payoff things. You know, you get a little explanation about the meaning of the character, and then you see it in action later. Mm-hmm. How about you, Jared? Any other thoughts you want to hit on before we jump out of here? I mean, you you mentioned uh, the Norway. I'll just say that too. It's just so such a beautiful, beautiful place to set this movie, and I'll lump this in with it too. Not a movie that looks like a low budget. Like you can see the how they were able to pull some things off of the fact that it's more or less one location. Even though in, in reality, and another thing to the, another shout out to the production design here as well. It was filmed in two different houses that were shot in a way where they would match each other. Um, mm. I fully bought that. I had no idea it was not all in one location. Um, but just the movie hides its its warts so well. Like I, I, I would have no way of knowing that this is a low budget film when we see the spectacle of the landscape and we think of what it would cost to film there. When we see for even 2014 how rock solid the CGI, the, the the special effects work is in, in this movie. It's why Ava locations looks, will always beat shooting shit in, uh, you know, the volume or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. But I mean, just Ava looks great when she's yeah. walking around with those body parts missing it. Like, it doesn't look cheesy. It doesn't look bad. It looks right. It looks real. And I'm just really impressed that they pulled all of this stuff off on a pretty limited budget. Is really great. Fifteen million dollar um, budget, by the way. Mm. Yeah, that's that's it's pretty pretty ridiculous. I really love the gag. This is a little little shout out, but I love the gag of the key card photo at the beginning. When he gets <laughs> oh, it's hilarious! Scan. And he like he makes making that terrible face. That's a good that's a good bit. Um, a little bit of revisionist history, but what do you guys think of this alternative ending? What if when Ava left the compound, she got mauled by a bear? So nature ended up winning at the end. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of that? It that sounds like good. what you would write. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm just yeah. kidding. That would be so dumb. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah. It would be, uh, yeah, I think that movie's legacy would be destroyed if that was the ending. Yeah, like, yeah, if she's just completely like, ruined. She, I mean, it, we didn't really talk on it too much and we don't have to, but there, there is an underlying spookiness in a lot of this movie and it is pretty uh, relentless and tension-filled to a degree for a very quiet and talky movie. All the red, all the lockdown procedures, all the flashing, yeah. all the who's who. Oh, yeah. So even when she's escaped and she's just walking through the forest, I'm not at ease yet. I mean, she just left this guy to die and I'm still on pins and needles thinking like even though the music is telling me otherwise and the beauty is telling me otherwise, I'm still expecting something bad to happen. Right. The movie has just kind of set that tone up for me. Uh, so I was just like, is she going to get mauled by a fucking bear? <laughs> she better not. Yeah. I would love to see the bear against Ava fight, though. That would be pretty rad. Oh, the bear from uh, Annihilation. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be dope. I had one last one. We don't. I don't want to spend too much time on this just because we're running out of time here. But um, I did want to mention the music in this movie was done by Jeff Barrow, who's one of the guys from uh, Portishead, which I don't know if you guys are mm. familiar with that band, but uh, great '90s mm. kind of synthy hip hop. Not not hip hop at all, but uh, they call themselves trip hop on their Spotify. I don't think that that's a really good way of just uh, of naming it but anyway if you if you're interested it's it's worth giving them a listen because they have a really great vibe that is very reminiscent of the score in this movie and i love the score cool dude i'm so so glad you mentioned the score because particularly we talked about that scene where she's naked in front of the mirrors the score is great throughout the movie but this the it almost sounds this like this sort of like dystopian like um music box doorbell like a doorbell chime combo but it's so beautiful and the music, again, through the entire thing is good, but particularly the last five or so minutes of the movie is just so strong, and I absolutely loved it. I'm really glad you brought it up. Well, I think that's going to do it for our episode on Ex Machina. I think all three of us would agree, go watch this movie. If you got to this point and you haven't watched it, 100%. sorry for all the spoilers, oh, yeah. but God damn it, go watch this movie. <laughs> just get after it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that brings us to putting something on the board. And as you mentioned earlier in the show, Jared, I think we're going to let Graham uh, put something up. I think that might be a new tradition is a uh, guest additions to the board whenever we have a guest. Yeah. When it comes to keeping score, we'll have to have a new other category. Yeah. So the great, you know, Drew score, my score and the others. But, um, I think it's a fun way to mix it up. Like we're going to keep adding stuff on our, in the other weeks and things like that, but it's a fun way to inject some, some new options on the board that, we wouldn't have thought of necessarily. With that in mind, Graham, you've had some time to kind of kick some ideas around. You got something? You got something for us for the board? Yeah, I thought about this yesterday. Uh, it's a movie called Ikiru, Ooh, which yes. translates to To Live, by, uh, directed by Akira Kurosawa. Uh, one yeah. of the movies he's made that you probably haven't heard about, unfortunately. I know I had it. Uh, it's on Criterion. Um, and basically, it's about a... Uh, it's like the struggle of a terminally ill Tokyo like government bureaucrat and his final quest for meaning. Wow. So it's a really fascinating meditative portrayal of, of life, um, government bullshit and just the sort of disintegration of the, the family unit, which was a problem in Japan at the time. Um, so it's a great movie. It's very unlike a lot of other Kurosawa films. Um, definitely think you guys would get a lot from it. It's a really excellent film. I'm so glad you're putting this on because this is like 
This is perfect in a number of ways. It's going to be our second Kurosawa that we'll have covered because we did Seven Samurai before, but it's a completely right. different version of him. So I want to see like a, a, a completely new side of him as a filmmaker. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, for it's that. a lot shorter than most of his movies too. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and still it's two like and a half a different hours. Side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a, another additional thing too. Like we were hoping for something. I know I wouldn't have picked. I know Drew is a really big, pretty big Kurosawa fan and. I've liked what I've seen, but I'm still a Seven Samurai was my first, and we just saw that you know a year or so ago. So I'm really excited by the choice. I think it's really good. So that's Ikiru from 1952 going up at number two on the board here. Thank you so much, Graham, for joining on the show, dude. I'm so glad you got to, we got to record our, our movie chats. Guys, thanks for having me on. This is a lot of fun. Um, like I said, I always really enjoyed y'all's show, but being on it's just you know. It's a whole different thing. Uh, it's really cool to be a part of. So thanks for having me. Yeah, Absolutely. We, we kind of, it's come up in the in the conversation, but, and I kind of mentioned when I introduced Graham, Graham has a movie out. Graham, where could it, what's the best place to find your feature? Yeah, it's called, uh, it's called Release. It's on, um, it's on Tubi TV. If you just search Release in Tubi, you'll, you'll find it. Um, it's an indie film, you know, very small budget, about 15,000 compared to Alex Garland's uh, 15 million. <laughs> um, not nearly as good. It's an okay little indie movie, but, um, you know, uh, we made it. We got it distributed. It's out there. So uh, if you want to check it out, by all means, check it out. I don't even want to really say what it's about, um, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's a family drama. We'll put it that way. I right. love it. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to check it out, and maybe we'll yeah. uh, maybe we'll slip in a little uh, short review chin segment wag. at some point. Yeah, for a little chin wag. I oh, sure. love that. Also, if anyone's interested in checking out, um, Graham leads a band called Graham Waldrop and the Band Upstairs. They're currently working on music, not going to be released by the time we're recording, but but keep an eye out for it. When do you think it'll be dropping, Graham? Do you know? Um, I mean, I'm sure we, it's loose, but yeah, we have. Um first single coming out uh next february 3rd if you go to grahamandthebandupstairs.com um you will find uh a link to pre-save the single and we're going to release another one in, in march or april and then we're trying to finish this this record and get it out in the summer but it's very folky americana bluesy sort of stuff um very bob dylan neil young influenced so if you like that stuff you might like what we're doing um but yeah, February is when you're going to be able to first hear stuff. And we have a show this Friday, but obviously the episode won't be out by then. So no yeah. reason to get it. I'll be that. there, dude. I'll be there and I'll be excited to see you guys, man. Can't wait. Hell yeah. Well, thanks again, Graham, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. And I w was glad to yeah. have your insights on this, this episode. So yeah, thank you again, guys, for having me. Uh, keep on keeping on. It's a great show. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, dude. So the new board... As it stands, we've got at number one, You Can Count On Me, number two, Akiru, number three, The Right Stuff, number four, Rio Bravo, number five, Operation Condor, number six, Anomalisa, number seven, Amadeus, number eight, Pi, number nine, Days of Heaven, number 10, The Limey, number 11, The Hateful Eight, number 12, The Straight Story, number 13, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, number 14, The Karate Kid, number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle, number 16, Dirty Harry, number 17, The Blair Witch Project, number 18, Waking Life, number 19, Strange Days, and number 20 the terminator let's see what it says well drew the dart has spoken 17 number 17 is the blair witch project oh baby yeah you excited for All this right. one 
I am, man. I mean, I think I feel like I know what to expect, but it's a movie I've just never actually seen. And there is a little bit of me that's just excited to to explore the idea of like true grassroots filmmaking. I mean, we're talking about Ex Machina being a low budget movie. This takes it to a whole other extreme. But it's a movie that when it hit, I was too young for it. And for years and years, I really didn't enjoy horror films. So I kind of just stayed away from it. And I've just never seen it. So I'm, I'm, I am excited to see it, man. It's checking a big shamer off the list for me. Yeah, no, this is a huge movie at the time. It kind of single-handedly kicked off the found footage genre as like a horror genre. So yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to cover it. I think it's going to be an interesting chat. Um, it's a movie that I have seen a couple of times and really enjoy. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to revisit it and, sh- and talk through it. Hell yeah, dude. Should be a fun one, man. Jared, you want to give us a streaming check there? Yeah, definitely. So looking at it, we've got two free with ads opportunities. One is Pluto TV and the other is Tubi. So you could kind of get Tubi. You can see Graham's movie release, watch Blair Witch Project with ads. I mean, why not? That sounds pretty good. And then if you don't want to deal with Pluto or Tubi, it's uh, pay to rent pretty much anywhere else. So you got your Amazons, your yada yadas. I'm just not going to say them anymore. We know what pay to rent means. <laughs> you sh- if you can't find... The Blair Witch Project, I just can't help you. Yeah, God but help you free if you with ads. find this movie. Yeah, for sure. That's going to do it for our episode on Ex Machina. Thanks so much for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or give us a recommendation, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at dartboardmovienight. Artwork for the show was created by Veronica Roman, and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. Sorry, Mike. Later.